0: This is Tack Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Extension Horses Tack Box Talk Series, Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heiney, with Oklahoma State University, and today's guests are Krishona Martinson from the University of Minnesota. Hello. And Sarah Masteller, who is an assistant professor at Ohio State University, which is the ATI, the Agricultural Technical Institute in Wooster, Ohio. Did I get that right, Sarah? Yes, yeah, so though we say Worcester. Worcester, Okay. <laughs> So our topic today is actually going to be insect control. So all of the fun, biting, blood-sucking insects that plague us in the summer uh, and sharing some advice on how to deal with them and some personal stories about uh, these fun pests. So, you know, I guess I'll kind of start with just a little observation from my husband. He was telling me the other day how horses' lives must really just kind of terrible because in the winter where there's no flies, they don't have their favorite things to eat. There's no grass, but when they have grass, they're constantly plagued by all the things that are biting on them. So I'm sure that's kind of been your guys' experience as well.
1: Yes, um, definitely. You know, in in Minnesota, there's some good things about the winter in that it kills all the insects, but it also kills the human spirit a little bit. Um, but yes, so we do get a break from the insects in the winter, and I would say that some of the best riding happens in the fall after that first hard freeze. We all affectionately call that the mosquito killer freeze because, of course, up here the mosquito is our state bird.
0: Yeah, don't you actually hit those with tennis rackets?
1: <laughs> it would sometimes appear to be that, but you know, it definitely is a huge seasonal issue. Um, And I know we can joke about it um, because, you know, all horse owners like to sit around and just kind of, you know, lean on each other and complain. Insects carry a lot of diseases. And from a livestock perspective in general, we can see reduces in performance. We can see issues with hoof quality from the constant stopping. And even with cattle, we can see reduced feed intakes and reduced weights of gain um, from animals just trying to outwalk insects and even heating as they tend to kind of group together and use the tails of the other animals to keep the insects away. So although we kind of joke and like to lament about it with each other, it is a huge issue that faces the livestock industry.
2: I'm going to second Dr. Martinson on much of that. Uh, and add that as a horse owner, if you go around the, the water cooler, you can pretty much start a conversation with anybody by saying, aren't the flies really bad this year? So <laughs> it's definitely something we look forward to uh, in the fall. And then also I really like getting out in the spring before we get um, the emergence of some of these biting insects as well.
0: Yeah, it's those magic few days where we have good weather and nothing to bite us. So, um, Shona, you mentioned diseases. Maybe we should start there with a review. So it's not just about, you know, these things are annoying, we don't want them around. They really can carry quite a few uh, kind of deadly diseases for horses. So what are the ones that we're on the lookout for primarily?
1: Chris, That you know, that's a great question. In our neck of the woods, we're always interested and concerned um, about West Nile. We're concerned about the WEEs and the EEEs, those encephalomyelitis that are so common. Um, The good thing is there is vaccines for them that can help boost the horse's immunity. And again, that's a conversation you need to have with your veterinarian to ensure that that vaccine is a good decision um, for your horse. But those are the ones in in the northern part of the U.S. And again, the good thing about winter is that it it has a a very specific stopping point for insects. And a lot of our insects don't overwinter. They actually blow up Um, from, from you, Chris. are coming up from the south, from Oklahoma. Um, But of course, we do have some that overwinter, like like our beloved mosquitoes. But also, if you're in Minnesota, you will see the helicopter spraying those swampy areas, those shallow waters to try to rid those areas of those mosquitoes and those mosquito breeding areas.
2: Another important disease that you um, may have run into uh, as a horse owner, um, hopefully not personally, but at least through doing your Coggins tests, is equine infectious anemia, which is also uh, carried by uh, those biting insects. So, or you may have heard it called uh, swamp fever EIA. So that's the one that your your vet tests for when they do, they do the Coggins test, which is actually should be capitalized because it's named after doctor that uh, invented it. Yeah. I didn't get to have any
0: famous thing named after me. So maybe there's still time that there might be a Heine test someday.
1: Chris, there's <laughs> definitely still time. You're a youngin'.
0: So yeah, so we've got all of our encephalomyelitis, um, EIA, which remember guys, there's no vaccine for that, which is why we have to have the horses tested so we can eliminate them. Um, And then West Nile as well. But I'm going to give a shout out for another one that uh, you Northerners may not uh, think about. And really the, in this case, the Insects are the vectors and that's vesicular stomatitis. Mm. And we've had some outbreaks down here um, in the Southwest that are uh, spreading. So controlling insects is really pretty key to controlling a lot of these diseases because while some of them have vaccines, they don't all. And so this really is our only tools, try to get rid of the bugs. So let's talk strategies. So Sarah, I know we were chatting a little bit earlier um and your mm-hmm. horse is at a boarding stable where they actually uh, do some unique
2: management so can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about what they're doing yeah so the boarding facility where my horse rocket lives they use uh parasitoid wasps to uh control the the fly population so what they do is at the beginning of fly season they order order these wasps and they come in the mail and they get spread uh, in areas where fly development might happen. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you get the crud that builds up under stall mats, wa- like around wash stall, where, you know, there might be some wet that never really dries, uh, manure pile, those sorts of places. And um, then every month they get a new shipment in and uh, spread them around the farm. And I have not been at a stable that has fewer farms or fewer flies than uh, this place. The other reason probably is all the fans that are running. So it's a little bit of a wind tunnel, hard for the flies to get around in there. Um, but the parasitoid wasps are, are pretty cool in in that they actually lay their eggs on, I believe it's the larva, and eat the flies before they be, they uh, develop and can become pests for our horses. So have you seen these wasps? They, they look kind of like Ants with wings. (laughs) Uh, I think that's the best way to uh, describe it. Though that's not the the technical entomologist terms. I'm sure
0: Eh, we're not entomologists here, so it's
2: (laughs) fine. So So, so Sarah, I have a question for you about that.
1: Um, You know, if if you want to start like a good debate on like social media, just mention you know the the parasitoid wasp and fly control because I've always have been told that because flies can travel, most biting flies, biting insects can travel within a five mile radius. Although your farm may be using them and may be doing a really good job of fly control by doing other management methods that I know we'll get into, if your farm that's one mile down the road does a horrible job and never removes the manure and has wet, icky bedding and standing water, that they really aren't as effective. So do you feel that your horse facility is rather secluded or are there other farms around, and do those other farms do a good job of managing
2: the flies? So it is, it is relatively secluded. There are um, Amish farms in the area with maybe a couple horses on a property a piece, uh, but then right around that farm are hay fields, which are fun to ride around, Um, a housing development, which is less fun to ride around, Um, and then a lot of crop fields. So corn, um, we also have a lot of the Ohio Ag research cropping operations around that area, too, and horticulture. So they're not producing manure (laughs) like horse farms or cattle farms or anything like that.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I think they're a good option but I think horse owners should really pay attention to the location. It sounds like it works awesome for your, where you keep your horse. If individuals are listening to this and thinking about if those wasps are a good decision for them, I think that they need to look at their location and who borders them. And I think you should also be clear that these wasps do not sting or bite humans. Or the horses. So just because they're called wasps doesn't mean that they attack, you know, humans and horses. Yeah,
0: I have to share my experiences with a, a different kind of wasp, uh, and I had not actually met these guys until I moved south, so they weren't up north where I used to be, um, and those are the horse guard wasps. Have you guys heard
1: of those guys? No, we are not. We, you know, you, Chris, down in Oklahoma, you guys just have all the cool things.
0: We do, we have the fun toys. So, um, The first year that we were out at our new property, I actually wasn't um, there. I was in Europe doing some horsemanship camps and my husband, uh, I think he sent me a call or something and said, there's these really big um, wasps buzzing around the horses and you know, I'm away and I thought, well, you know, maybe they're bot flies, but it was a little early for botflies, bot flies. So that's what I told him They were like, well, try to, if you get around them, smash them or whatever. Because we don't want those. But when I got home, um, I saw them. They're big. So these are big, black and white wa- or black and yellow wasps, and they're super cool. So their their name, horse guard wasps. What they do is they prey on the tabanids. So the big horse flies, the big giant green headed and black monsters. These uh, flies or these wasps rather will hover around the horse and just hang out there, hovering around, buzz, buzz, buzz. And then when the horsefly comes, they grab them and they fly away with them to feed their young. That is so cool.
1: That is cool. Send some up here.
0: (laughs) Well, apparently they have specific soil types that they like, but I mean, it's really cool to watch them in action. Uh, And they actually, once the the wasps get going and get active, you really start seeing a decrease in the uh, tabanid population, so. If you ever see one, don't kill them because they're your friends.
1: Yeah, that's a bad thing with insects. The scary ones can be your friends, but they look so scary, you're, you, it's hard to make that call. Well, you're gonna make it from now on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's talk um,
0: about other fly control measures. I know, Sarah, you mentioned fans, and fans actually mm-hmm. can be a pretty good measure because not all of these guys are like really strong flyers. Mm-hmm. So, have you had some more experiences with just how many fl- fans or where they need to be to give the horses a break?
2: Yeah, so I think ventilation in a horse stable is really important, uh, fly control or not. Uh, and um, this facility has a little bit of overhead hay storage, which cuts off or cuts down on some of the ventilation. So it's really imperative that we have that airflow. So we have like, I don't even know what the technical term for these fans are, but they're they're, they're big with their round. I used them growing up in our, our dairy farms as well. And, and I mean, you can stand in front of them, they, they dry you just like that because they're so powerful, um, create a bit of a, a wind tunnel. And that really just that moving air makes it really difficult for or impossible for mosquitoes and difficult for any other type of, of uh, flies to get in there and and really um, do anything productive. So we got wasps, we got flies. Um, Christiana, I know you even did uh,
0: a few research projects up in your neck of the woods with other fly control. So what else is in our toolbox?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Sierra hit on some of the the big ones, but Um, I'll talk a little bit about the research, but I think we would, I'll be remiss if we didn't mention just good housekeeping. A lot of flies need soiled bedding, so manure. They need moisture, so leaky waters. You know, they need that moisture and soil bedding to complete their life cycle. So a lot of times if you can keep that removed from a horse farm, which I know is a daily struggle, Uh, that helps going a long way. So making sure that you don't have leaky waters. If you have soil bedding that you're removing it once a day. Um, If you're composting your manure, you're actually composting, not just sitting it out to kind of rot and decay, which obviously attracts a lot of flies. Um, You know, if you have feed that gets wet, getting rid of that. If you have old tires that have been filled with water that are sitting out, or even buckets that we're sitting out and collecting rainwater. Make sure to dump them out and flip them over. So just those general housekeeping things can go a long way in um, reducing the fly population. But another thing that I think a lot of us horse owners use, and I'm sure Sarah and Chris, you've used these in the past or present, is just like fly barriers. So I think a lot of us use fly masks for our horses, either with or without ears. Um, but a couple of years ago, we did a research project where we looked at horse um, behavior when we had applied different sprays. So we used a permethrin spray and a pyrethrin spray. Those are two of the main ingredients in different fly sprays that you can buy at any egg supply center. Um, we did a homemade citronella spray. And then we used leg bands. You can just Google them and buy them on Amazon. They're usually soaked in citronella that you attach to the horse's leg right above the hoof, and then we use um, just leggings. So the, the various you know leggings that we used, and obviously the leg bands and the leggings really really reduced fly stomping. So you know any of that behavior horses are trying to remove the flies from their legs, and the homemade citronella did really a really good job of reducing the behaviors where the horses are putting their head back to their flank or their leg to remove the flies or that skin twitching or that tail swishing. So those are all what we call fly avoidance behaviors. So what our research showed is that, you know, put on the fly masks, put on the leg, put on the leg gear, um, and then, you know, use a spray and it really helps. In this case of the sprays that we compared the homemade citronella tended to work the best.
0: So do you have that uh, recipe on your website now?
1: I do. So essentially, um, yep. So if you Google University of Minnesota and fly control, you can see that we use um, white vinegar, Avon Skin So Soft, which is something you can use also to help repel insects with humans. Citronella oil that we actually had to go to Whole Foods to find. It can be hard to find, but Whole Foods carries it. And then just water. And that was our mixture and the exact um, amounts and the rates are on our website that we used.
0: Oh, very fun. You know, we did a—we were trying to do a little study uh, here with some undergrads on some other fly control products. And we were looking at organic sprays. Unfortunately, we picked the one year where once we got our approval paperwork done, it was really windy and cloudy and all the flies went away. So it wasn't as much <laughs> fun to finish it up. So we never really completely finished it. But one of the funny observations that we had, there was one of the fly sprays, the horse just didn't like them. And we were using uh, yearlings, and there are at least two of them when we'd put that fly spray on them, they would throw themselves to the ground and roll to try to get it off. So we thought, well, there's probably not gonna be a lot of people wanting to buy that one.
1: (laughs) Wow, that
0: is an odd behavior, Chris. Yeah, never made it into the research reports, but uh, casual observations. So
2: let me ask you, uh, both of you guys, on the fly I have another thing to add on the um, chemicals, if that's okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. What else do you have? Yeah, I think it's really important to try to identify what type of flies you have because some things work better on certain bugs than other things. So trying to identify that and that can also help you figure out if you want to do trapping, what types of things are going to work for trapping. And then back to fly barriers, depending on what species you have, uh, different fly barriers will actually work differently or maybe better or worse. Or if you have stripes, that affects some species and not others. So go ahead with your um, fly mask question.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, so, no, that's a good point. Um, so some of those fly sheets and that they have the fun zebra designs now because the, the stripes, for whatever reason, for flies uh, kind of, dazzle their brains i guess (laughs) see all kinds of fun products out there these days
1: and chris i will just add that sarah makes a really good point that um, in minnesota the most common flies that we have are the stable flies so they're just the little black ones that you see kind of everywhere and um i guess fortunately for our study our horse facility is next to our swine and dairy facility so we did not have a shortage of flies um But I I can see where, you know, weather definitely impacts it. Um, Rain, cloud, high winds, um, cooler temperatures, especially in Minnesota, we get in the fall. They tend to get kind of frozen in the morning. Then they kind of come back to life in the afternoon as it warms up. So there's all different things that these flies go through. So yes, definitely knowing the flies that you have is important.
0: Yeah, for us, um, you know, the ones that I deal with now more than I used to are the horn flies, because they're found so much on cattle. Um, And obviously, in Oklahoma, we have a lot of cattle pastures. um, And so cattle and horses are together quite a bit. So you do see a lot of those horn flies um, that like to either sit right on their top line or on their belly. And they can be really irritating, also biting, um, and can can take a fair amount of blood with them with how many that can accumulate on the animals
2: uh, so in Ohio here or at least where my horse is there hasn't been as many stable flies thanks to uh, the use of those parasitoid wasps and where the facility is located so what bothers me the most or my horse the most when I'm out riding are the deer flies uh, and also the big the big horse flies that that they sound like they can pick you and your horse up and take them with you yeah those
0: are the scary ones that you know if they start buzzing around your horse you have to decide if you're a pretty good rider or not because they (laughs) are gonna buck once they get bitten by those they're extremely painful
1: chris i have seen our my horses know when those giant flies are even near them because if they land on them they do they absolutely wig out So, obviously, it's a very painful bite.
0: Well, in my neck of the world, my horses have learned, like, I try to kill them for them. Um, And so, because they're fairly slow moving, and if they land, you can kind of sneak up and smash them. So, unfortunately, now the horses have figured out, like, if the flies are attacking them, they run to me. So, now (laughs) I have bucky-kicky horses that are coming to me for help. (laughs) And then the, the bugs can get on you and bite you, too. So... It's really not an ideal situation.
1: That sounds like that sounds like you should video that, Chris and
0: <laughs> Me running away from the flies? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask this fly mask question. So it's a super practical question. Uh, because obviously when we we're talking about fly masks, fly sheets, the, the leggings, and not like the leggings from the 80s when we wore leg warmers, but the little mesh leggings that go on horses, uh, they have to stay on. To work. Hmm. So how well do they work if you've got those type of critters that like to peel everything off of their
1: herd mates? Well Chris I can start and Sarah I'm sure you have a lot to add. Um, So I have um, personally have five mares and our research herd is usually about six mares. Um, We do have one horse that is a, either she rolls and itches it off or somebody takes it off of her but we put it on once a day and when it's destroyed then her luck is out for the season and if she doesn't know any better then she has to suffer a little bit <laughs> um, i i am just kidding a little bit but it is a huge problem at my house you know every couple of days um we are finding of the you know the fly mast in the dirt rinsing them off letting them dry re putting them on um but our, our horses do appear much more comfortable, and the younger one is starting to figure out that the fly mask is a very good thing, and we're having to put it on less and less. But at the beginning of the season, it was a daily chore that we all hated. Um, so I don't know, persistence, you know, they have the, Vic- the, the Velcro that goes underneath and holds them on, and I'm just not sure what other tricks you guys have. Um, I have noticed that, you know, they come in a variety of sizes. Now I have a smaller quarter horse mare and she actually fits a cob size fly mask better. Um, So again, I think pay attention to the sizing because um, a little bit of a snugger fit still gives them plenty of space, but yet it seems to be a little bit harder for the horses to get them off. No, that's a good advice to check the
2: fit. Sarah, what else do you have? I was going to second fit. So I was going to say fit, fit, fit. Um, is really key and if you can make sure that it's going to be comfortable for the horse. uh, For example you don't want mud or you know dried bits of gunk and stuff underneath those those bits um, either fly sheet or mask or or your leggings that are going to rub the horse. So even if you get them to stay on you really do need to take them off and check underneath and make sure you're not developing anything like sores or or any like hiding an injury or something like that is really important to check.
0: Yeah it'd be similar to our like blanket advice in the winter. You just can't blanket mm-hmm. them and forget about it. You gotta check underneath because you might be missing something rather important.
2: Exactly. And then the other thing is uh, knowing your individual horse and maybe their uh, signals for comfort comfort or discomfort. Again, same with the blanketing, because if you get something that maybe pulls at their shoulder, uh, and or maybe they really sweat under their fly sheet, maybe they would be more comfortable without that, especially if you've got your, your fly problem at least um, mitigated by some of those other measures. So it's kind of balancing, right, the horse welfare in In different respects.
0: Okay. So we've got um, vaccinate your horse if we have uh, diseases that we can vaccinate them for. So that's always primary for disease control. We have our um, fans so we can use air movement to keep them off of them. We talked about physical barriers. So putting something on that the fly can't bite through. We talked about chemicals and the slew of different uh, products that are out there and even some homemade recipes and our predators. So that's another option. So there's one final one we haven't talked about and was wondering if you guys had any experience with that. And that's the use of the feed-through products. Have either one of you had any experience with using those? I have
2: no firsthand experience with the feed-through products. I often get the question about garlic and that's efficacy but I have not seen anything published that feeding garlic would make their sweat smell or you know repel flies out there that's been validated. All I've heard are anecdotes so maybe Krishona has more information. Yeah, you know, Chris, that is a great
1: question. And I unfortunately have zero experience with those either. Um, I know they're very common in the cattle world, but again, like Sarah, I have no firsthand experience or research experience with that.
0: Well, you're killing me, I don't either. I'm going to have to find somebody that's actually uh, used them. So we use all the other methods, but I've never never tried those.
1: Well, and Chris, I would just like to add to your summary, which I think was perfect, is just that importance of good housekeeping. It, you really have to be good about, you know, picking out your stalls, watching for wet areas, tipping over those buckets, watching for tires. Um, that good housekeeping goes a long, long way. And then also i have found some great fly spray recommendations from my farrier because obviously she does not want to be trimming feet and battling flies and making it take twice as hard and be hard on their body so i think you know trusting other horse owners or especially farriers anybody working with the horse's feet they tend to have really great recommendations when it comes to fly control because they are living that every single day.
0: I will give a shout out for the farriers that they do know good fly sprays, but they prefer you not to apply the fly spray onto them.
1: (laughs) Yes, Chris, that is excellent advice.
0: (laughs) I think sometimes we get carried away. (laughs) And we wouldn't want to be fly sprayed that many times a day. That surely can't be good for them. So
1: uh, apply it prior to their visit. That's kind of the the big tip there. Well, and even um, I, I, I will ask my farrier, I, I just give her the spray bottle and I say, here you go, you know, you spray where and how much you want because you're the one coming into direct contact with it. And I just give her the reins when it comes to to my trimming and shoeing days. Good advice.
0: Uh, any other last tips or any other um, personal experiences that you guys have had with battling our flies during our summer months?
2: I will share a little anecdote about how much I really hate horse flies. So I used to have uh, this off the track thoroughbred mare, uh, joyster, and we would go trail riding and, and toward the end of our trail ride, our fly spray had sweated off or, or however. And um, we'd be in the rod and gun club and part of the rod and gun club had this nice fishing pond. So we'd take go to the pond and stand on the bank in the nice shade uh, and every so often you'd hear up come one of those uh, big horseflies. So I'd try to make like Harry Potter and, and a seeker and snitch the the horsefly out of the air. I was younger and a little bit more athletic <laughs> at this point. Uh, and then take the, the fly and throw it into the pond and the bass would come up and eat it. And they thought that was the best, best thing. And I was like, take that, you horsefly. That would have oh. <laughs> been very satisfying. It was, <laughs> like the the fish got food. My horse didn't get bit. Yeah, so then I have reduced or controlled the fly population. Yeah.
1: Sarah, <laughs> Ever I so never so slightly. Sarah, I never knew you such a sketchy pass. I love it.
2: <laughs> so we have you participated in any other Quidditch matches, Sarah? I have not. If they made it on horseback, I'd probably be more likely to do That's that. New sport. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I really appreciate your guys' time today and uh, just kind of sharing some tips and tricks for trying to deal with uh, our biting insect population. And there's probably not a a one answer fits all. We have to use a a multitude of different approaches if we really want to provide relief for both ourselves and our horses um, over the summer months. Thank you so much for having having us.
1: Oh, look, we said it perfectly, right? Jinx. (laughs) uh, Thanks a lot, Chris, for having us. This is a really great topic.
2: Thanks so much. All right, and this has been another
0: Tack Box Talk for Stories with a Purpose. Bye.